If you have your Bibles open to uh, Psalm 51, if you can uh, maybe mark that somehow, we're going to come back to it. And turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number 8. We'll do sort of a Bible study tonight. We're going to look at a lot of scripture and uh, we'll move rather quickly. So I hope you'll have your Bibles, your smart device or your iPad or whatever it is you're using uh, ready to go. Uh, We are coming back to Psalm 51 in just a little bit. In uh, Nehemiah chapter number 8 in verse 10, Nehemiah is talking to the people of God. They have finished building the wall in an astounding 52 days. They have withstood a lot of criticism, a lot of persecution and opposition. And uh, they are, they've come together for the reading of God's word. There is really a revival uh, that is breaking out. And in verse 10, the Bible says, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our God, neither be ye sorry. Read the last phrase of verse 10 with me. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Read it again. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. We want to talk tonight about the subject of the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. We try in many ways to define Bible words. One of the best definitions of the word joy uh, that I have found is that joy is an inner condition of happiness that is not dependent on outward circumstances. It's an inner condition of happiness that does not depend on outward circumstances. There are those who like to split hairs between joy and happiness, and I don't think the Bible makes much distinction there. For example, the book of Proverbs says, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Uh, Obviously, God wants us to be as happy as he wants us to be joyful. Those words are too closely related for us to necessarily divide them. But again, joy is an inner condition. of of happiness, contentment, if you will, that is totally uh, uh, uninvolved with what's going on on the outside. Let me show you uh, the reason I say that. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Told you there'll be a lot of scripture, a lot of moving back and forth tonight. Philippians is a prison epistle. It's one of the last of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. That that prison was not a good place, not that there is such a thing as a good prison, uh, but this was a terrible place for him to be. And he writes in verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord... Waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and notice this, and I therein do rejoice, 
yea, and will rejoice. Paul is in some of the worst circumstances of his entire life. Remember, in addition to being in chains, in prison, in Rome, he is suffering with a thorn in the flesh at the same time. And yet here's a man, all of his circumstances are against him, but he's a man filled with joy. Therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Philippians is the epistle of joy. It is where we read rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Again, Nehemiah taught us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now consider that with me. If we lose our joy, does it not make sense that we also lose our strength? If we lose our joy, we lose our strength. I, I am uh, one of these individuals, I, I try to take my spiritual temperature often. I, I try to be careful that I'm not uh, measuring myself against anybody else, but I'm constantly wanting to measure, Lord, am I right with you? Lord, am I where I ought to be? And I have learned over the years that if I'm of a sour disposition, if I'm finding myself negative in my thoughts, negative in my comments and so forth, that there's something wrong spiritually within my heart. Joy is where our strength comes from. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not only if we lose our joy, will we lose our strength. Sooner or later, if we lose our joy, we will loathe our service. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Oftentimes when we enter into some type of area of service or ministry and at the beginning it's exciting, it's new, we're, we're thrilled to be able to, be, uh, to, to serve the Lord in such a manner, but if we're not careful, things will come along and we'll get weary in well-doing. In Luke chapter 10, we read about a good lady a lady who was very, very close personal friends with the Lord Jesus Christ, her entire family was, who lost her joy. The Bible says in verse number 38, it came, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. That means she was weighed down with her serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. Martha is mad at her sister. She is mad at the Lord. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Martha lost her joy, and her service became a problem to her. Her service became a burden to her. And in the process, when she lost her joy, um, uh, it, it was everybody else's fault. This is, this is Mary's fault, and, and this is Jesus' fault. And the problem was that she was careful and troubled about so many things. It was weighing her down, and she had lost her joy. If we lose our joy, we will lose our strength. We will loathe our service, and sooner or later, we will leave our Savior. 
we will leave our Savior. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul had a number of companions in the course of his ministry. At the end of almost all of his letters, he takes the time and he's thankful for various individuals. There are actually dozens and dozens of them that meant so much to him. One was a man by the name of Demas. Demas may have come from the city of Colossae where Onesimus and Philemon were from. Demas' name is mentioned in both the books of Colossians and Philemon as a servant of the Lord. But look what the Bible says in verse number 9 of chapter 4. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. A man who used to love the Lord, a man who used to love serving the Lord, He's now walked completely away from that. The Bible says, having loved this present world. We need to be careful about our joy. We need to guard our joy. We need to be in constant, uh, a constant state of awareness of where is my joy at. There are some things as you read through the Bible that will steal our joy from us. They're enemies of joy. I want you to go back to Psalm 51 that we read with Brother Carson a few moments ago. Number one, sin will rob us of our joy. Sin will rob us of our joy. I would like you to notice, uh, please, in uh, verse number eight, this is David's Psalm of penitence after his sin with Bathsheba that is found in the heading of the psalm notice he, he says in verse 8 make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice there's no evidence that David had actually had broken bones but that's how he felt on the inside if you've ever broken a bone it's a very painful experience it's a pain from the inside out and David said, that's how I feel. And he's asking God, saying, make me hear joy and gladness. Notice what he says in verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Sin will steal your joy. And I'm not just talking about the sin of adultery, such as that which David committed before the Lord, or the sin of murder, which David was also guilty of. We need to understand sin is sin. The book of James, uh, when he's talking about the sin of respect of persons, favoritism uh, towards people based on, uh, in, in James' case, uh, the wealthy versus the poor, um, he was trying to help uh, his readers understand that that favoritism is just as wicked as the sin of murder. He who, who said, thou shalt not kill. He said, uh, also said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, if you don't steal or you don't kill, but you do one or the other, you're still a sinner. So we got this idea that it's big sin, little sin. God just sees sin and that sin will steal our joy. Adam and Eve lost their joy in the Garden of Eden instantaneously when they sinned. They didn't kill anybody. They didn't commit any kind of immorality. They ate a piece of fruit that God told them not to. 
We need to be careful that we don't fall into the devil's trap and lie of believing, well, it's not that big a sin or it's not as bad as someone else's sin. That's not the measurement. If the Bible says it's wrong, it is sin. And that sin, once we give ourselves to that, that will steal our joy. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Something else that will steal our sin. And this is going to sound a little odd at the first statement, but if we're not careful, the saints can steal our joy. The saints can steal our joy. In Numbers 13, they sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. They spent 40 days there. They've come back and they've got one cluster of grapes that is so enormous that it's held on a pole between uh, two different men. They, they've got all kinds of fruits of the land uh, and so forth. And uh, notice what the Bible says, verse 27, and they, these are the spies, told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. By the way, so far, they've not done anything wrong. They, were, they are just simply reporting on the reality of things. They're telling where they live. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, as people are listening to this, apparently, uh, they're starting to get a little antsy. Um, they, they weren't quite sure that they were ready for all this, even though God's told them all these people were there. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And here's where the uh, other 10 spies fell into trouble. But the men that went up with them said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land uh, which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So it's gone from a land that flows with milk and honey and look at all the fruits of the land to now it's a dangerous place and it eats up the inhabitants thereof and, and they're all giants and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. The whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? So here's some of their own, these 10 spies, these 10 men, hand chosen by the Lord to go in and spy out the land of comeback, and they are faithless, 
individuals. They're completely forgetful of all that God's done. These 10 men saw the waters of the Red Sea part. They've been eating manna every morning of their lives for the last several years. Uh, they were at Mount Sinai and heard the voice of God uh, thundering off of the top of that mountain. Um, and, and they saw all that God did to the Egyptians and they've completely thrown that behind them. They're faithless and they are forgetful and they are a fleshly-minded people. These are also some of the same people who while Moses was up on Mount Sinai for those 40 days and nights that said, we don't know where this Moses went. Let's make gods that'll, that'll take us back to Egypt. And they made a golden calf and worshiped it and so forth. You understand that they discouraged the hearts of everybody else. And the people that should have been rejoicing, man, we're finally here. We are the first generation of the descendants of Abraham to even see the promised land in 400 years. We are there. We are, we are about to go into a land that flows with milk and honey. That joy is gone. Why? They got around some negative so-called believers. By the way, have you ever seen a happy critic? Never. Complaining people are never happy people. Griping people, critical people, they're never ever happy. They're, they're the most sour people you're ever gonna meet in your life. You and I need to be careful who we hang out with. They might have the moniker Christian attached to their name, but having the title and being one are two different things. The word Christian means like Christ. Christ encouraged those that were around him. Christ pointed people to a closer walk with God. He didn't, he didn't point them away from the things of God. You need to be careful about that. The, the saints, a, a backslidden Christian will steal your joy. Turn to Job chapter 6. There's something else that will steal our joy quicker than we realize. Suffering suffering. If you're like I am and you're following the Bible reading schedule for this year, we are in the book of Job. And in chapter 6, in verse number 1, Job is responding to the first criticism from his so-called friend Eliphaz. But Job answered and said, oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. And as the book of Job continues to unfold, you'll find him making statements like that more and more often. The man who in chapters 1 and 2 said, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The man who said with great faith, Naked came I out of the womb, and naked shall I go forth. Um, and in all this, he sinned not nor charged God foolishly. All of a sudden, his joy is gone. His grief is overwhelming him. Remember, we said if we lose our joy, we lose our strength. If we lose our joy, we begin to loathe our service. And if we're not careful, we'll actually leave our Savior. It's not long as you walk into the book of Job that you find him saying, I'm going to demand that God gives me an answer. God owes me an answer and by the time he's done with all of that, uh, the, the indictment against him is that he declared himself to be righteous 
implying that maybe God wasn't being fair to him and God had to rake Job over the coals before all was said and done. And suffering in any form can cause us to lose our joy. Remember though, real joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Paul was suffering in Rome, yet he was rejoicing. He was, he was excited about what God was doing. Um, and and we, we cannot lose sight of that. And we got to realize suffering can steal our joy, but it doesn't have to. It absolutely doesn't have to. Long before I ever went into any trials, going all the way back to probably when I was in high school, I became familiar with the name Johnny Erickson Tata. How many know who I'm talking about? She was injured. I believe she dove headfirst into a swimming pool. The water was shallower than she realized. And I think she broke her neck, didn't she? And she is paralyzed from the waist down. She was a young, young lady, I think maybe 20, something like that. When the, what's that? From the neck down. Um, she, you just, I, I think she paints with her mouth. She writes, but putting a pen in her mouth and stuff like that. Um, she used to have a radio broadcast called Johnny and Friends uh, and things like that. And I, I remember listening to that. Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata, she's a believer. I wouldn't say she's an independent Baptist, but I, I believe she definitely is a saved lady. Uh, she definitely loves the Lord. And uh, I've never heard her. I've never seen her in an interview or anything like that where she was anything less than happy. Never. Now, that doesn't mean she didn't have her moments. I, I, I'm sure in, in her lifetime, uh, I, and I, I'm thinking she's older than I am, uh, I'm sure that there have been a lot of tears. I'm sure that there have been a lot of what ifs and whys and, and all of those things. But for the most part, she's a lady that had, had, has more vibrant joy for the Lord than fully able-bodied people have ever possessed. See, suffering doesn't have to steal our joy, but if we're not careful, it can. That's what happened to Job. Um, something else, turn if you would to 1 uh, Samuel chapter 15. Something else that'll steal our joy is stubbornness. King Saul started out very well. God used him, and for about three years, God's hand of blessing was on him. But at about that time, he started getting lifted up in some pride, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing an okay job. And he didn't so much need the words of the preacher anymore. And, and he sort of picked and chose what he would obey and disobey. In chapter 15, the prophet Samuel said, the Lord wants you to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, every one of them. It's judgment time on that race of people. I want you to destroy everything they have, every animal, uh, every possession, destroy them all. And you know the story. Saul went out and they did destroy most everything and everyone, but they saved the best of the sheep and the oxen uh, and, and brought them back. He saved the king alive as a trophy of his conquest. And uh, the, the uh, prophet Samuel came and encountered him. Look, if you would, please, in verse 13, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, 
I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He's trying to pretend he's right with God even though he's clearly disobeyed God. Samuel came to Saul. I'm sorry, uh, verse 14. Samuel said, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Dead sheep don't bleat. So if you've obeyed God, what's the noise of all those animals? And Saul said, they. Isn't it amazing how it's somebody else's fault? They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. It's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Now we're going to make sin look spiritual. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now they're all bad, but we're not. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Say, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? So he's being rebuked by the preacher. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Boy, we dig in. It's so hard to admit I have done wrong. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought back, uh, brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And here it is again. But the people took of the spoil. Well, he's in charge of the people. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When Saul became king, he went on a rampage against witchcraft, those that had familiar spirits and things in the land of Israel and destroyed them from the land. He took a stand against, if you will, he's taken a stand against other people's sins while he's defending and even spiritualizing his own he said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Stubbornness. We know what we're supposed to do. And if we do it, we're going to do it kicking and dragging, if we do it at all. Or we're going to make every excuse in the world why it doesn't apply to us and, and all of that other stuff. The Bible says that that spirit of stubbornness is just as wrong as any iniquity you read in the Bible. It's just as wrong as worshiping false idols. Turn to the next chapter. This is God's indictment against King Saul. In verse number, um, 1 Kings chapter 16, look if you would please in verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord, capital S, departed from Saul. That spirit came on him when he was a young man, when he first met Samuel that one day. The Bible says God gave him a different heart. He was turned into another man. And Saul, Saul prophesied and, and, and proclaimed the glory and the power of the Lord and God used him. That spirit departed from Saul, and notice this, and an evil spirit from the Lord 
troubled him. His stubbornness stole his joy. And Saul would never be the same again. Saul would never be a happy man for the rest of his life because he just, he just would not yield and say, I'm wrong. He was good with saying, you're wrong, they're wrong, but he couldn't bring himself to say, I am wrong. And that stubbornness stole his joy. We could probably add to that list, but understand this, the devil has a lot of tools in his toolbox that he uses against us to rob us of our joy. And remember these statements, if we lose our joy, we lose our strength. If we lose our joy, it is only a matter of time that we loathe our service. And if we lose our joy, it's only a matter of time after that we will leave our savior. I don't mean we lose our salvation. We'll follow Demas out into the world thinking that's where happiness is. And by the way, it's not there. Oh, there's pleasure in sin, but Hebrews chapter 11 says it's only for a season. The prodigal son had a great time for quite some time. But there came a day when his money was gone and the famine came and he's in the pig pen and he found out it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. What happens when we realize there's something missing in my joy. I don't have it like I used to. What, what do we do? Number one, number one, let's go back to Psalm 51. Seek the forgiveness of sin. Seek the forgiveness of sin. Verse one, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. No excuse making. No, but, that, but, but so-and-so's worse than I am. It's wash me from my sin. Lord, cleanse me. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. I've often wondered what would have happened to King Saul if he would have taken David's route. Rather than saying, it's the people, it's, it's, it's them. Or, no, I've obeyed God, it's not me. Or trying to spiritualize sin. If Saul would have listened to Samuel and humbled himself, that's how you find grace from the Lord. I wonder how differently Saul's story would have ended up. When I read through First um, and Second Samuel, and I, I read about Saul on Mount Gilboa with his three, I think his three oldest sons. It's the last battle of his life. They're, they're losing terribly. And before Saul died, he watched one after another as his sons were slaughtered in battle. He watched Jonathan, one of the finest young men to grace the pages of scripture, fall before the Philistines. Those are some of the last things he saw and by the way, that all happened because he refused to get right with God. His sons paid the price for his sin. Let that sink in for a moment. And then he himself is wounded, but he's not yet dead. So he ends up committing suicide on the battlefield. I wonder how different it would have ended up if when Samuel was trying to help him, 
if he would stop saying, yeah, but it's everybody else. It's the people. It's them. It's not me. And, and, and even then, we're, 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 we're spiritual. Look, we're, we're going to do this for God. If he if had changed it, David just, I, I've sinned. I, I've sinned. There's no other word for it than that. Lord, I need to be cleansed from this. Uh, verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Question, did David find forgiveness? Yes or no? Did David ever get his joy back? Yeah, he did. Um, there were some scars. There were some consequences. But David went on and he won a lot more battles. He got to see his son actually seated on the throne with him. Solomon and David uh, ruled simultaneously for a, a, a while there. He got to see everything start to fall into place for the building of the temple and so forth. God used him to write some, some words of divine inspiration for us. David got his joy back when he found forgiveness of his sin. Number two, turn to Psalm 16. What happens when we lose our joy? How do we get it back? I realize it's not always because of sin. With Job, it was suffering. With Job, it was suffering. So what do we do? Get the forgiveness of sin. Get right with God if that was the problem. Number two, fellowship with the Savior. In verse 11 of Psalm 16, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. In thy presence is fullness of joy. A few minutes before the service tonight, I was standing in the back and Anna walked in with Wesley. And he was semi-conscious at the time and uh, I hadn't had my Wesley fixed today, and so she dutifully handed him over, and I'm just standing there. Uh, I, I stand with him after church. I, I tell folks, this is how I make people like me, because I'm holding this cute little baby, but I'm standing there, and I don't know how many people walked by and said, oh, look at that proud papa. Oh, look at that happy face. It, it's just impossible. Every grandparent here knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Brother Graf came walking in. He got to hold his granddaughter, right? Got to hold his new granddaughter. Was it today too? So he and I were, were bonding over that charity experience there. There's just something about holding that, that little child that brought a lot of joy. David said that's the way it is when you spend time in the presence of the Lord. In thy presence is fullness of joy. If you just walk away from the, from the critics and just go spend time in the presence of Christ, you'll find that joy getting filled up again. He is called the Prince of Peace, and you understand that peace and joy are very closely tied together. Fellowship with the Savior. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. There's a long list here about the works of the flesh, all the wicked things that we as human beings are capable of. 
Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, it's a singular word, fruit. It's not nine different pieces of fruit. It's one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. That last phrase means if I am filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is now being made manifested in my life, I don't need a commandment to make me be nice to people. I don't need a commandment to make me tell the truth. I don't take, uh, I need a commandment uh, to, to make me do anything. It'll be a natural outflowing. So if my joy, if I, if I sense that it's somehow gone, it's missing or it's diminished, I need to stop and make sure, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? And I just need to stop whatever I'm doing and spend some time and yield myself to the Holy Spirit of God. When I was in Bible college, Brother Hiles used to say often in his sermons that seven times every day, he had, a, he had appointed times every day, he would just stop wherever he was and spend some time alone with God and saying, Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I'm yours. Fill me. And he would ask the Lord to help him cross the paths of someone who needed his help. But seven times a day, because see, things kind of build up in our days and we, we get so busy. And if we're not careful, that flesh can take over real easy. And the flesh will steal your joy in a heartbeat. So we need to come back and recharge and, the, and yield to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's one last thing. Turn to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, how to get my joy back. First of all, forgiveness of sin and just make sure, Lord, am I right with you? And if not, get it right. No ifs, ands, or buts. Second is fellowship with the Savior. Read your Bible. Pray. Spend time with him. Number three, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And number four, the friendship of spirit-filled believers. Look, if you would, please, verse 17, 1 Corinthians 16, 17. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. They're some of the first people he led to Christ in Corinth. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. They have refreshed my spirit and yours. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Remember, we read about the faithless so-called saints in Numbers chapter 13 who discouraged the hearts of the people and stole their joy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, please, verse number 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. So on a couple occasions here, Paul is talking about individuals and they refreshed his spirit. Sometimes if my joy is lagging, maybe I'm going through a difficult time. I like to come into the fellowship of people that truly love the Lord. 
people that I know when I'm around them, uh, the Bible's going to be a topic of conversation. Uh, people that when I'm around them, prayer is going to be an, an, an easy subject uh, to talk to. Maybe they'll pray with me or pray for me. Uh, people that I know love the Lord, that have a good testimony. People that aren't going to be running down this person or that person or, or, or uh, you know, the, the whole world has fallen apart and we're all going to die type thing. Uh, uh, there are people that just lift my spirits. And so sometimes if I'm struggling with my joy, I need to seek those people out. Can I just say this? We ought to be people like that. We ought to be people like that. You realize that everybody that walks through the door of a church, everybody, everybody walks in with some kind of a burden. I, I, I failed to ask the question tonight, how many of you have something in your life and you stand in need of prayer? Lift a hand real big. Okay, I don't know all the burdens, but I know enough of them to know that some of the people have their hands up or are under a crushing load. Uh, they need to come into church and find somebody that's upbeat for Jesus rather than somebody. Can you believe they painted the ceiling black? It's not black, it's gray. There. Can you believe they got these Japanese things all over the place? And there are people like that. Years ago, when Mrs. Petronico was my secretary, I always said when we decorate the platform, we always left one thing crooked. That way, critical people could enjoy them too. I'm just telling you, when somebody walks in and, and, and their heart's broken, or, or they've had one of those awful weeks, or it seems like life is against them, they don't need to run into Mr. Crab Cakes. They don't. They need somebody that's filled with the Holy Spirit that's going to help them understand, you know, God's good and God's got an answer. Hey, can I pray with you? Can I help you? Can you give them a verse of scripture? Um, everybody needs somebody like that. Let's be that kind of a person. If you're in that position, you need to know who those people are and just go sort of sidle up to them and hang, just hang out with them and let some of the overflow wash over on you. We all need that. We all need that. A um, week or so ago, I had to make what was for me a, a discouraging decision. Uh, I was supposed to uh, compete in a, a powerlifting competition yesterday. I've been training for it for a number of months. And uh, Sam and I have been working very, very hard. But the chest pain has interfered with a lot of that. And uh, I was back in the emergency room uh, again uh, with no answer, the pain has been worse. The, uh, the insomnia that it causes is, is almost like a constant type thing. And so I had to make a, a decision that uh, probably it's not the best time for me to do a competition. Uh, we reached out to the man in charge uh, of it, and uh, boy, he was very, very sympathetic and instantly changed it. And Lord willing, we're going to try again in January. And he just transferred me, so I'm not going to lose the money that I put down on it and so forth. Um, but it was, um, it was hard because I was looking forward to it. Um, it like I said, I'd, I'd worked hard about that. I went in, uh, I sent a text to Sam just to let him know because Sam is my trainer and coach. He had set aside uh, yesterday. He was going to be there with me for the entire uh, thing, help me out, coach me through uh, everything I would need for the day. And I, I sent him a text and told him about my decision. And I, I won't give you the, the context of what he wrote me back. 
But Sam wrote me the most encouraging couple of texts over the course of a few minutes time. Um, just uh, number one assured me that uh, he was in my corner, uh, assured me that though it's a setback, it just means we just have more time to work for something else. Here's an unsaved man who recognized that I was kind of struggling with some discouragement there and just taking a little bit of time to encourage my heart. And you know what it did? It brought my joy back. I wasn't mad at God. I, I wasn't in sin. I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. It's just, it was just one of those things that happened. Now listen carefully. If a man who does not yet know the Lord can be like that, how much more should we? How much more should we? Guard your joy. Guard your joy. If you lose your joy, you become a weak Christian and the devil can roll you over. You'll lose your strength. Guard your joy because if not, you will loathe your service. Guard your joy because if not, you might follow demons out of the church and go out into this present world and leave your Savior in the dust. Father, thank you for the Bible.